Hello and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino and I'm your host and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. So early on in with COVID, I had a lot of questions, a lot of red flags, yellow flags, a lot of concerns, a lot of things to me did not make sense. And it just was that way, just on a hunch or on a feeling. Um, and uh, when I started to see us being censored uh, for even discussing or asking questions about COVID or the vaccine, our response to COVID and the like, um, then I uh, had real serious concerns. Um, but of course, you know, experience and data is what drives ultimately to the truth. And unfortunately, we got that with my guest today, Dr. Michael Schwartz. He wrote a great book uh, called Fauci's Fiction. And I was telling him off the air, it is really, really good. It's not data driven. It's not going to be, it's not a textbook. It's very well written. I read it very quickly and uh, full of a lot of great examples and experiences from someone who lived and breathed COVID in the response. So Dr. Michael Schwartz, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Like I said, this was, if you're interested in knowing facts from someone who lived it and knows um, COVID and the response and everything like that. This is a great book. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed it and I was reading it in the car during, you know, the kids football practice because I wanted to get through it and, um, it gives you a lot of really good information. So let's maybe start from sort of from the beginning. Cause obviously we can't go through the whole book. We won't do that. People can get the specifics by, um, you know, purchasing the book and, uh, even purchasing a copy for others who, you know, we all know those people that were sort of on the fence or who were radicals about masks and stuff like that. They maybe need something like this. But let's start with your background and and the business you are in that got you involved with COVID. Sure. I've been in business for about 30 years, but currently we own three medical clinics, uh, one in, in New Jersey, one in Tampa. I have another travel clinic in New Jersey. And um, we started off doing wellness exams for folks and municipalities, school districts, things like that. When COVID hit, we just, I think we lost every single client we had. Everybody canceled on us. And, and, and lo and behold, you know, a couple of weeks went by and people started calling me saying, hey, you think you could do some COVID testing for us? And of course, we jumped right in. But we had a background in that because we've done respiratory pathogen panels for, for years. So we were first out the gate. And I think the first ones in New Jersey to do a test. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you, you got firsthand experience and you go through all that in, in really great detail and um, all the ups and downs and challenges and worries that you had uh, with, with it and uh, how you guys ultimately came through and, you know, by again, by the examples in the book took really, really great care of patients. And uh, that's, that's very important. You were also very truthful and honest with them. So as you started, you know, taking care and COVID started coming out, uh, what was your sort of first first sign of concern that that the truth or that people weren't handling this from a scientific or medical standpoint? Well, I think we were just like you, and I, I'm, I'm going to assume, but we were all glued to the television at first, mm -hmm. watching Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, uh, and, and you know, we I, I always talk about the 
the title of the book is called Fauci's Fiction. It really has nothing to do with Anthony Fauci, but everything to do with him at the end of the day. We're watching these folks give dissertations daily, telling us what's what's happening, what they're seeing on the ground. We're getting death counts, talking about mitigation. And, and, and we, we were very nervous in the beginning because we weren't sure if this was the next big thing that was going to bring us all down. Uh, so I started testing on March 16th of 2020, which is the first legal day I was allowed to test. And uh, when when Governor Murphy in my state locked down the entire world, I think I was the only one on the road that day doing 100 miles an hour between homes. Because once I got the word out that we had COVID testing available, if you remember at the time, no one was doing this. No one knew where they could get a test. So a lot of folks were rushing the hospital when they were fearful. Um, we're out there doing this. And maybe in about two, three weeks, uh, as I'm starting to test folks in their homes, realizing that... Um, when I was testing a sick person, the entire, the rest of the entirety of the household would have this thing, but nobody was sick from it. I mean, I mean 90% roughly of my population was asymptomatic or mild. So as I'm coming home discussing with my family what we're seeing on TV versus what we're seeing on the ground, the data just wasn't matching. So I'm saying that this, there's, there's something, there's got to be a little bit something to this. Yeah. Yeah, I, it was something that was that was what got me kind of starting down that road of scratching my head. I I took it seriously too at first, like everybody else did, and and I went along. But when I started, you know, people started saying, "Yeah, I tested positive, but I had no, I had no idea I even had it," or you know, I had a headache and uh, you know, I was, was I was fatigued, and I'm like, "Well, that's." That's, that's what every parent is, right? Like, how deadly can this be? And then I started digging in myself and looking at what the fatality rates were. And, and so, you know, what was that? I think, and I would tell people what the, uh, you know, the IFR or, you know, the, the fatality rates and all that stuff were. And a lot of people would say, where'd you get this information? Because they had this perception that basically everybody was dying. How true or untrue was all that? Yeah, it was very untrue. I mean, and, and I ran a regression analysis, and you know this from reading the book, but I ran a regression analysis chart early on before we started testing just to see, show where those numbers would go. And I showed a buddy of mine, and he was he was you know astounded that uh, my prediction was so high. He's no, there was no way it's going to get there. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have all these people who are infected. The the difference being though that when you when you're testing, and I had nineteen thousand patients, we did forty four thousand tests in the aggregate. We didn't know from the start. All you're doing is relaying information from one set of patients to the next. So when you're testing the first set of patients in one month, you're you're then telling the next grouping of patients in in, in April or May of twenty twenty because they're still scared. Uh, you're you're on the phone telling them, hey. You know, you're calling somebody like yourself saying, Jerry, it's Mike from my wellness. You're positive. And of course, now you're freaking out going, what do I do? And I'm trying to relay to you what I've seen from the previous data set of patients and saying, hey, Jerry, you know, from what we've seen, it's not that bad. Once the fever breaks, most people are fine within a couple of days. Uh, you know, we're, and we use very basic treatment regimens of vitamin C, vitamin D and zinc, uh, electrolytes to keep your, you know, your, your, uh, your electrolytes in balance. But you're talking patients off a wall every single day, but you're relaying the information from one grouping to the next. You know, we didn't get into the vaccines until much, much later. But the first set of patients that, you know, when the vaccine didn't exist, all you're doing is relaying symptomology, trying to, trying to, like I said, talk them off the fence and ease their concerns to let them know that, uh, what you're seeing on TV, the doom and gloom, the body bags, the death counts that you're seeing on every single network, which I thought was one of the most irresponsible things someone can do, was not happening. You know, I think that's kind of the entirety, the point of the book, is that we knew what we knew very, very early on. 
but nobody would listen. And we put the country and the world through an exercise that we just didn't need to go through. Yeah. And what else was concerning is that, is that anyone who would bring up anything or even ask questions and, and, you know, about these things was censored. I mean, really they, they were in so many ways. Did you experience that? I mean, I know you were, were you on social media doing this or, or how did that go? Yeah, I put one post out on social media very early on saying that we should adopt the Swedish model. And I got ridiculed for that. But I still get censored today, Mm -hmm. which is what drives me nuts. I mean, right now, Amazon, which is one of my distributors, will not let me spend money to sponsor this book, citing what they say is current events, whatever that means. Um, They have some liberal fact checker, I'm guessing, behind the scenes who thinks they know everything and looks at a cover of a book, doesn't read it, and tells me that this information, which they don't even know what's in here, is not appropriate for people to listen to. And you can't dispute it. It's my data. I mean, what, you know, it is, it is not an interpretation of someone else's data. This is my data. This is my, my data set, which is pretty large. Um, the first data set that we had was 441 home visits before we even got into the, the doing the nursing homes and the police departments and the horizontal data that we have, which, by the way, I think we're the only company or one of the only companies in the United States that has horizontal data. That's where you test the exact same patient population every single week for three years. And that, along with the antibody data we derive from those patients, the, the symptomology we, we recorded from those patients, the vaccine information we recorded from those patients, that really painted a very, very different picture of even what you see today. They're still pushing, you know, vaccines mm-hmm. and they're still talking about if you get the vaccine, you're not going to be as sick. And I will tell you that the numbers are exactly the same pre-vaccine as they are post-vaccine. So I don't know why they tout a certain narrative, but we still get censorship every single day, even to today. Yep. So I, I cannot post any of my video. I cannot post this on my YouTube page because it'll get banned because I have already twice and lost more, actually more than twice, but I've lost two um, YouTube pages. Just, just talking. That's it. Just talking. I mean, people could take it or leave it. Uh, Okay. So so along with uh, all of these misnomers or misinformation um, out there, another one we, we got was masks, right? Masks, wear a mask, wear a mask. You're safe. Wear a mask. Um, tell us the the realities of of masks. Well, I mean, we never required a mask in our any of our offices from the start. It's the second stupidest thing. I write that in the book. Second stupidest thing I've ever seen in my lifetime. We don't wear masks for cloth viruses uh, or cloth masks for viruses, and there's a simple reason for that. And I always make an analogy. If I were to take you to the Wuhan lab or the Winnipeg lab and said, "Come on, Jerry, let's walk through the area where we test the viruses," and I put just put this cloth mask on, you'd think I was nuts. Um, we we've kind of suspended reality here, and it has to do with particle size, has to do with the filter size of the mask. I always tell people, look, even those those blue surgical masks that you see people wear for the most part, the biggest thing is they're not duct taped to your face. If they were duct taped to your face or medically sealed, for lack of a better word, you'd be using the filter to filter out the air that you're breathing, but you're not using the filter. You're breathing in through the path of least resistance. The biggest thing, the biggest fallacy that people don't understand is you could fit 500 million COVID particles on a pinhead. So when you have somebody symptomatic in a room and you understand air fluidity and particle size, the, the particle size of COVID is 0.1 micron, but anything smaller than 0.25 microns is so small, they don't settle by gravity. They will literally float around in the air and bounce off each other. It only takes one live particle to infect you. So when you're walking through a room where someone is symptomatic 
uh, and you're breathing through the path of least resistance and not using that filter anyway. And if you were, it's 30 times the size of the, the particle, too big for the particle size. Uh, you're, you're doing nothing. You're actually making it worse. Uh, most of the folks that wore these things every day were coming in with things like staph infection, staph aureus, which is a respiratory staph infection or Klebsiella pneumonia, uh, H flu, a lot of bacterial infections because you're breeding bacteria in, in that mask. So it, the fact that it's number one, it's a fallacy that is going to help protect you. But number two, it, it, it made most people uh, even sicker from wearing these things. Yeah. I, I mean, I still see people wearing them now. It, you know, that's what that's what makes me laugh that people will, I think, uh, you know, they'll do anything that, that they're told to do. You know, some people would say and you do you do address this in the book and say, well, OK, maybe, you know, maybe it's not going to stop COVID, but it's at least it's it's some degree of protection. Is there any validity to people who say, well, I'll just do it. It can't hurt. Well, I'll tell you this, and, and this kind of, I guess, emphasizes the point, and, and, and this is also in the book, I, and I still have this argument with people every day. When I've had someone symptomatic in a household, 100% of the time, every single person in that household caught it. Didn't matter if they were staying in a different room, if they were wearing a mask, the whole, it doesn't matter. If you are in the vicinity of someone who is symptomatic and they and they are and the room is full of COVID, there is no amount of protection you could put on. There is no amount of hand washing you can do because again, you're, you're, you're dealing with particles that are floating around in the air. The best protection you can get from something like that is a properly fitted N95 mask. But that's not what we were saying. That's not what we were hearing. So when the government is telling you, you can wear a face covering on a plane and you're covered, no, I'm sorry, that just doesn't fly. If you're gonna, if you're gonna use pseudoscience in front of scientists, people who understand this thing, we're going to question it. If Fauci and the government or anybody, Dr. Burks, any of these folks had said, you can go on a plane, but you have to have a properly fitted N95 mask, I would have given it some credence, but that's not we were what we were doing. We were putting on a show for folks uh, this entire time. And we have, I, I hate to say it, Jerry, but I think we have dumbed down uh, more of society than we ever, I, I didn't know that, that we could get their IQs even lower. To see people in their cars wearing masks, um, by themselves, it tells you something about our society. It doesn't tell you something good. Yeah, I see people walking in the park by themselves with a mask on. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't, and I don't know what to say. You know, people can do what they want. I'm not suggesting that we force people to not wear them. People can do what they want, but the whole notion, um, you know, to you know, forcible, you know, wearing of masks, it, it was just absurd to me. I, I refused. I, I got to a point where I refused. Um, you know, I didn't want to cause problems places, but I, I refused to wear them. I couldn't take it. Plus they were so uncomfortable. It's not even funny. No, sure. But I think more of us needed to do that. The ones that understood the science, I mean, we're getting yelled at here as if we were going to kill the world, you know, by not doing this, you're not keeping us safe. No, we were, we were keeping ourselves smart and sane, but to, to, to do this and perpetrate this narrative for kids, uh, especially, and that was the most heartbreaking thing to see these kids. I, I still see it now. If a family comes in and the mother and father decide that they're maskers, they'll have their entire, you know, all their children masked up behind them. And I'm thinking, what, what are we teaching these kids? We're not teaching them to be smart. Uh, we're, we're teaching them pseudoscience and how to virtue signal. And that's pretty scary. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into the vaccine because, you know, obviously we were dealing with all this and you were seeing the facts because you had patients, you had the numbers, you had the data, uh, and you were seeing it. And then out comes the experimental vaccines. Cause that's what they were. They were, they were approved, uh, for experimental purposes. 
and uh, they start coming out and t- take us through your progression of the vaccines. Uh, Cause you, again, you do go over this in the book in detail, but what was your progression when they first came out? I talked to my immunologist probably uh, at that time, almost every day, but we still talk once a week and we, we share information. I talked to a lot of smart people in my circle. Uh, you know, I think that the smartest thing you can do in life is to realize you don't know everything. You try to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you so you can put it all together. Um, we talked about a lot about before the vaccine was coming out, the efficacy rate of the flu vaccine and how the efficacy rate of the COVID vaccine would change over time as they were touting a 95%, in some cases, 77% efficacy rate. And I had a discussion with my immunologist about how as these mutations, and by the way, the R-naught of COVID is so high that it mutates a lot quicker than something like influenza. They're, they're similar, but the R-naught's a little higher here. So as the, um, you could prepare a flu vaccine for uh, what you expect to come out that year, but the efficacy rate is always about 30%. And I said, how could they tout these numbers? You're only getting a reaction to the spike protein. Understanding how viruses transmit, timelines, the language of a virus, that stuff is so important. And that's why I put it in the book, because I think when you see COVID in totality, it really helps you understand it in totality. Um, So we knew that you would need multiple shots, that the efficacy rate wasn't going to be what it was. So we watched, and I never required these in my office. We watched folks. And by the way, I'm going to make this very clear. I did not not recommend a vaccine because we thought there would be medical issues with it. We did not recommend the vaccine because we knew it wouldn't work. And you cannot use the word vaccine to someone in the populace who's 80, 90, 70, 60 years old, because when they hear that word, they think, Long-term immunity like polio, immunity for life, or MMR, or Hep B, you get 10 years out of it. Those folks were duped, and they should be very upset uh, to this day. You would not run out and get yourself four flu shots in one year, but folks are running out to get a COVID shot every time it's available. So all we did was relay the symptomology, and then we relayed the um, the uh, the positive uh, uh, ratio back from our patients once we started calling them. At first, in the beginning, in the first you know couple months of COVID, you would call a patient and say, "Jerry, you're positive," and that patient would say to me, "I don't understand. I was fully masked the whole time, thinking that that was going to pr- give them a, a you know a shield, a force field." And then the same thing happened with the, um, the, the vaccines. You would call them and say, hey, I uh, just want to let you know you're positive. And they would say to me, but I don't understand. I'm fully vaccinated. And once you do that over and over and over and over and over, because that's my job, and we called every single positive patient, I called them all personally, you, you, you knew that the word breakthrough should be taken out of the vocabulary because to, to, to use the word breakthrough would imply that, oh, my God, this thing is having some kind of breakthrough effect. You could get COVID just as easily and you could give COVID just as easily if you had the vaccine or not. It doesn't matter how many shots you have. Yeah. And I, I always say that, you know, if the vaccine worked, then why didn't it work? You know, if masks worked, then why didn't they work? If social distancing worked, then why didn't it work? And China and Canada would have been long over, they would have been long over COVID way before everyone else because they were so draconian in their, in their methods and, and testing and quarantining and the like. And yet none of them were, everyone dealt with it. uh, Just, you know, just as long as the next, the next country, the next people. And uh, yeah, that's crazy. So, um, so one of the things that is interesting to me is that we were told not only that it worked, but if you get co- if you get the vaccine, you won't get COVID, and you also won't transmit COVID. How how absurd was that lie? 
Well, we knew it. I mean, when he said it, we were watching the president say that on TV and we're shaking our heads going, is he either he doesn't know what's going on or he's being lied to on mass scale? Uh, I, I don't understand why the CDC would keep propagating these narratives. And I, I don't get in, into politics in the book. You know that. I keep it apolitical. It's just mm-hmm. data-driven, science-based, but very anecdotal. Um, I have been asked on multiple television and radio shows, do you think there's something behind this? And I think that's obvious now to anybody uh, who looks at it and says, well, they exploited a situation here. Um, the, 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 the problem was, while everybody was still trying to figure that out, we had data uh, a year before you would hear it on TV. You know, now we talk about the vaccines. Um, it, it, it was it was very irresponsible for them to number one say that, and then of course now they're backtracking and saying, well, that might not be true, but you could get less sick if you get the vaccine. That is a fallacy, and that should not be uh, propagated. Uh, you can get as sick, if not sicker, um, because the vaccine is only giving you a reaction to the spike protein. It is not giving you a reaction to all of the proteins inside the capsium of that virus, and you're not getting B and T lymphocyte memory cells. A lot of the stuff that they said, Jerry, was completely absurd, but we're three years into this and we're still uh, pushing a narrative and it, it doesn't make sense to me. Most of the world has caught up to what we've been saying to our patients for the last three years. And most of those patients come in now and tell me, I'm not going to go get a booster. I don't need it. But I mean, if you were our patient, you probably wouldn't have got it in the first place because we were years behind everybody else. And that's kind of the point of the book. I don't understand why they're still censoring us to this day. Um, you would think, okay, they, 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 they manipulated the data. They won an election. Here we go. Now what? But we're still pushing, uh, you know, folks to get these new vaccines that are coming out now after they've been proven not to work. Well, you see them on TV. You see the commercial. We saw a commercial yesterday for uh, the COVID vax. We, I see uh, uh, billboards that are still up saying get the vaccine. And um, and I just don't understand why people can't just be decent and humble and admit it and say, look, the data is in. Here's the actual information. Hey, our intentions were good. I don't think everyone's intentions were good, but, you know, they could at least, you know, get by with saying that, hey, we we, we wanted the best for people and we hoped. Um, instead, they just keep pushing it. And it's it's just crazy. It's really sad to me. Um, so how long did it take you to write the book? And with your bit, you could just in reading the book, I'm going, man, did this guy sleep at all during COVID? And, you know, so yeah. tell me about the process of writing the book. I, I wanted to write the book a lot sooner. A lot of my patients had said, and I've had this conversation with my patients ad nauseum uh, over the years, and enough of them said to me, you really need to write a book. And I kind of, somebody planted the seed, so I started doing it. Uh, I, I It took me probably about nine months. My father passed away in the middle of that. You know, I, I had no idea what the process was. It's my first book. So the editing process, the formatting process, the cover design, there was a lot to it. That cover, by the way, and I know, I don't know if your audience can see this on, on video or not, but, you know, we, uh, thank you. We, we, that came up, that was a vision that came to me. And a lot of folks are buying this now as a gift for the folks, like you said, who are been masked perpetually. Yeah. Uh, it's a good stocking stuffer to throw in there. That vision came to me because, you know, I'm talking about, Every day, my, my narrative didn't match what they were saying, but what, what I remember from their narrative was him at the podium, and he really is the face of COVID, but folks will read it and say, I didn't, I, I didn't expect this. I thought you were going to you know, beat him up and bash him, and he's only mentioned three times in the book, um, but there's so much to the process of writing a book. I had no idea. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, I just wish I could have gotten it out sooner. 
Um, a lot of folks will say to me now, hindsight is twenty twenty. But I've done long form podcasts. One I did on Calderice Unleashed uh, in August of twenty twenty one, a two hour long form podcast interview where everything I said on that interview is right here in this book. So this isn't hindsight. This is what we've been trying to tell you for years, folks. Um, but the government media just won't let it out. And they're still trying to censor it now. So that's got to tell you something. Yeah. And, and right. And and I think it is a good point to notice. I, I noticed the same thing too, is that you, I was expecting when I got the book, you, you had sent me this copy and I was expecting it to be this bash Fauci. And it really wasn't. And what came across is that all the people that had sort of a responsibility, whether it's doctors, epidemiologists, it, all over the country, everywhere, you know, just were irresponsible and simply going along with it. I, I found it amazing that that extremely educated, obviously educated, you know, physicians were going, did you get your vaccine? Did you, did you get the vaccine? And I'm thinking, you know, wouldn't in your normal practice of medicine, you wouldn't give someone medicine without digging into the data first, right? Never. If you, whatever area of medicine you practice, you, you, you find out they, what do the doctors say? Where's the white paper, right? Show me the white paper, right? right? That's what, that's what they're taught, you know? And yet so many people just went along with it. So it isn't specific. It isn't a, a Fauci bashing book at all. It's, it's, a, it's a factual book that explains the lies uh, or, horrible mistakes if we want to be generous of those uh on the one side so where can people uh where can people get this um and and again get, get a copy it's really well written and an easy read thank you jerry it's available everywhere books are sold uh, amazon.com is the easiest place to get it of course if you just search fauci's fiction you'll see a lot of stuff i gotta tell you though i i i went on ai and asked ai about the book and AI had nothing uh, that was factual about the book. Uh, it, it actually says we bash Fauci in the book. It says that Fauci has refuted the claims in the book. I have no record of that. So AI is, don't trust AI yet. It's, it's, not, it's not quite there. But if you go search the, uh, the internet, you'll find it available on Amazon's probably the easiest. Yeah. So, so even AI is lying about COVID now. I mean, that's, that's just where we're at. Uh, Dr. Michael Schwartz, author of Fauci's Fiction, uh, go to amazon.com and get it really, really good. As I said, if you were, uh, you know, my perspective on, on, uh, COVID and the response, or you know, someone or you personally, or someone who went along with everything, you know, you know, educate yourself. This is real experience, real data. Um, and it's, uh, it's, again, it's a fast, easy, enjoyable read. It's not a, a bunch of data. It's not a textbook, as I was telling uh, Dr. Schwartz beforehand. Um, it's really well-written stories, and it gets personal with your father um, as well. So, um, Dr. Michael Schwartz, thanks so much for what you're doing. This is important stuff. We need to learn from this because uh, there will be something else that they'll try to shove down our throat. Who knows what it will be, uh, but it'll be something. So, uh, Dr. Schwartz, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Jerry. My pleasure. Yep. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of P-Day's Podcast. Please check out all my podcasts and all the different podcast apps on YouTube. Rumble on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And on WHK Radio slash podcast. So thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. I know what I'm saying when the world's so calm out.
the words from my tongue. Savior, oh. 